Welcome to the Horsewise Podcast with Lynn Reardon, where we share stories of horses and people and what they teach each other. On this episode, I'll be introducing the Horsewise Podcast, as well as giving you a little bit more information about me, Lynn Reardon, the host of the show. I hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. Hi, welcome to the very first episode of the Horsewise Podcast. My name is Lynn Reardon, and I'm the host. And I wanted to share with you right off the bat the story of a special horse in my life. His name is Tulsa Mambo, which is a great name. He is a registered thoroughbred. And Tulsa raced at the track for many years. He retired at age seven, which is fairly, fairly older age for a racehorse to retire. And he's what we call a war horse, which means that he raced over 50 times and he retired at a little bit older age. I first met Tulsa way back in 2003. I had just opened a racehorse adoption program in Texas, which is another long story that we will cover in a different episode. And what we did was we did two things. One is we would take occasionally take in one or two horses at a time at our farm to adopt out. But the main thing that we did is that we would take photographs of the horses at the track that the race trainers wanted to sell because they could no longer race. And we would put them on a website and market that to the public. It was a nonprofit service. We didn't charge anything for it. We just kind of wanted to help the race trainers find good homes for their horses. So I was walking on the backside of the track and the backside is where the barns are, where the horses are kept. And this really nice trainer, his name was Keith, came up to me and said he had a horse that he wanted to put on our website. And he let out this, this very dark bay, almost black looking horse with two white hind ankles. And the horse just looked super mischievous. He just had that way about him. Horses are kind of like people. Once you get to know how their facial expressions are, you can kind of figure out their personality pretty quick. And Tulsa was one of those horses. And he kind of carried himself. He seemed kind of jaunty. He seemed very curious. And he wasn't like the most handsome horse, and he certainly wasn't the biggest or the flashiest, but he just had this this air about him, and I really liked him. And Keith cared about him, the trainer, and he told me that Tulsa was getting older now, he wasn't running as well, and Keith was going to have to move on to the next racetrack because the tracks don't run races continually. They run them for certain seasons, and then another track opens up, and then the trainers kind of move. It's a very nomadic kind of existence. And Keith was worried that Tulsa could get into a situation where he might get injured because he was getting a little older. He wasn't running as well. And he didn't want to take him to another racetrack and that was even more competitive. So he wanted to find him a home maybe as a riding horse. And he told me about his personality. He said that Tulsa every morning was the first horse to stick his head out after breakfast time just to see what was going on. He always liked to kind of watch everything. He wanted to do things. He was very curious and alert. And he also told me that the horse had had a little bit of a bad reputation in his earlier days, but that Keith thought it was because Tulsa was just really smart. So if someone worked with him on the track that was maybe a little rough or wasn't really as sensitive as Tulsa would like, Tulsa would kind of let them know. It was his version of a negative Yelp review. He might buck a little bit or he might just suddenly not want to run very fast. So he was a real character. And Keith was worried about him. He told me, I'm not sure he's going to find a home in time because he's not super big and he's not super flashy. 
And I told him, ah, this horse is great. Like, I'm sure he'll find a home. And if he doesn't, I mean, you've got like three or four weeks, I told him before the meet closes. If he doesn't, we'll take him in at our place. Well, sure enough, sure enough, a few weeks passed and Keith was like, no one wants to buy him. So I want you to come get him, like you said. So all of a sudden I have this horse back home at the adoption ranch that I wasn't planning to take in. And, uh, and he was probably one of the more successful racehorses we'd had in that he was, had run a lot longer and he had enjoyed the job. Most of the horses we had worked with at that point were young. They'd kind of washed out early. They were sort of the, we called them the couch potatoes. <laughs> they were the horses that just really didn't have what it takes to be a racehorse. And that's why they came to our program. But Tulsa, he was kind of like uh, the equivalent of a minor league baseball star. He had raced 60 times. He hadn't won a ton of money, maybe around 53000 but he'd kind of earned it the hard way, you know, one race at a time. And he also kind of had this extra big personality. So I wasn't quite sure how to work with him or, or, or what to do. So we brought him to the little farm. We'd rented a pasture and uh, where we kept a couple other horses. And I immediately noticed that Tulsa was a total prankster. He would kind of get the other horses in trouble. One of them was uh, a couch potato we called Boomer. And Boomer was a big red horse, very sweet, not super analytical, (laughs) not the kind of horse that's going to go to college anytime soon. And Tulsa would just get Boomer into situations and, and then kind of laugh at Boomer, which was pretty, pretty entertaining to watch. The most dramatic example of that was Boomer and Tulsa were each in a different pasture, but they shared a fence line. And one day Tulsa was kind of getting Boomer excited, racing up and down the fence line, like, hey, let's race up and down the fence line. And it took Boomer a while to kind of get going, but he was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to race. I'm going to do that. And so Tulsa took off down the long side of the pasture, and so did Boomer on his side. But Boomer's side of the pasture ended in a gate, and Tulsa's didn't. Tulsa's was a bigger pasture. And so Boomer's like, run in, and he's looking at Tulsa, and Tulsa's kind of neighing at him, egging him on. And Boomer's totally not noticing that there's a gate rapidly approaching. And we were all yelling at Boomer, Boomer, watch out, there's a gate. And finally, like, I mean, it was two feet maybe before the gate. Boomer looks up and he goes, oh no. And he tries to slam on the brakes. And he was a big horse and he just went sliding down the asphalt. And we're like, oh my God, he's going to just, he's going to be so severely injured. And he just sort of slid into the gate. And fortunately, it was not a very sturdy gate. And he was just kind of entwined in the gate, leaning over. And we came running up. We were terrified. And as we came up on the other side of the gate where his head now was laying among the gate debris was a big pile of clover, kind of a big, and he was chewing on it. This was how very non-complex a personality boomer was. He was like, oh, while I'm here, I'm stuck in the gate. I might as well eat some clover. And miraculously, he was not hurt. He just had a little scrape you know, on, a, on one of his back legs, and that was it. Meanwhile, Tulsa's over in the other pasture, just looking so entertained and amused at the spectacle. And I was just like, bad horse Tulsa. So Tulsa was obviously pretty mischievous. And um, we, we put Boomer in a different pasture after that. We felt like Tulsa had been a really bad influence for him. But uh, I had been at that point, I was not a 
professional trainer. I would say I was not a particularly good rider. And about uh, two or three months before Tulsa had, had arrived, I had a bad experience on a horse, uh, a horse that I had known. I went to mount the horse and she reared and flipped over on me. And I was very lucky. I was able to get away, like uh, sort of slide away under another fence and I didn't actually get hurt, but it really scared me. And it turned out that that horse had was having the onset of a neurological disease. It, we just didn't know that. So I had this sudden feeling that every time I got on a horse that the horse was going to rear or flip over or something really strange was going to happen. It was such a freak incident that it made me very nervous about, because I didn't feel like I could have ever predicted that that would happen with that horse. And that translated to, I felt like I couldn't predict how any horse would behave. So here's Tulsa and he's getting bored and he wants to clearly be ridden or worked with. And I'm like, I don't know about this one. I'm not sure I want to ride this one. But finally, one day I got on him and he was really, he was really sweet. He was really gentle. It was like, he knew I was nervous and we just sort of walked and trotted around. And after that, I would ride him maybe two or three times a week, just around the property. We didn't have an arena or a round pen at that time. So I would saddle him up at my truck bed in the backyard. It was a very professional, professional slick operation, as you can tell. And then we would go for like a little ride around, around the pastures. And one day I went to get on him and, uh, I, it was a windy day and it was in October. And I remember the wind was really high, you know, the, everything was noisy and I went to get up on Tulsa, I mounted him, and then I asked him to walk off. Like we were going to walk off toward, there was a little trail area that kind of went along the border of some trees. And he just refused. I mean, he was almost like bucking in place and he was waving his head around. And, and I was like, hey, hey, don't misbehave. Like my first thought was like, hey, you're, you're being bad and, and it's scaring me a little bit, but also you need to move forward right now. So I was really, I was you know, kicking and telling me he had to go forward and he was just not having any of it. And I could tell he was thinking maybe not so much about rearing, but that he really, he just did not want to move his feet at all. And when horses don't want to move their feet and you kick them, sometimes they can, they'll, they'll put their front feet in the air a little bit, not a full rear. So I was really getting nervous. And, um, and then Tulsa started doing this really strange thing. He turned his nose to, to the right and kind of looked up at me. He almost put his nose to my knee in the saddle. And then I looked down at him and then he immediately flipped his head and looked off toward the trees. And then he would do it again. He immediately would flip back to my nose with it, flip back to my knee with his nose. And then he would flip his nose back looking at the trees. And I was like, is he having a seizure? <laughs> like what is happening? I'm sitting up there and the wind is blowing and then the wind died down a little bit, but it was still really noisy by the trees. And I looked up and I realized kind of followed where, where Tulsa was looking in the trees that there was a rattlesnake up ready to strike maybe about six or seven feet from us. He had been in the brush and I hadn't heard him because of the wind. And there's, there, there I am telling Tulsa to go forward to the rattlesnake and he's going, lady, not a good idea, lady. So I just had this moment where I'd never seen a rattlesnake like that. Um, I had 
fairly recently moved from Northern Virginia. In Northern Virginia, October is not snake time because it gets cold, much colder, faster there. So we never think about snakes and certainly not rattlesnakes. And it had completely just taken me by surprise. So then I'm like, well, how do we get out of here? I mean, we were, we were pretty close to the rattlesnake. If it was a big rattlesnake, we could have been in trouble. So I just dropped the reins, kind of let go of the reins and put my hand on his withers and relaxed my body. And I was like, hey, Tulsa, you're in charge. And he immediately just very carefully backed up, turned very slowly away and took me to a safe part of the property. And I was just blown away by that. Here's this horse who's mischievous, who uh, clearly has a strong personality, who'd been known to be difficult at the track with earlier trainers, but he really took care of me. And uh, from that point on, I just, it, it gave me a very big appreciation for how intelligent horses are, but also just like people. Sometimes what they show on the surface isn't really what's going on. There's often a lot of kindness under someone who's sarcastic. And uh, sometimes the smartest horses, they're the ones that are going to take the best care of you. So I never forgot Tulsa. And he recently came back into my life. He had been adopted out and his adoptive family had some very serious life changes. They had to sell their property, death in the family, illness in the family. And so Tulsa returned back to our program. He's 23 years old now, and he still has the same mischievous look in his eye. And uh, it's just great to see him. It's like he's an old friend. And I feel like it's been such a, a, a privilege to have known him both at the end of his racing career and now kind of in his, his golden years. He's going to retire here permanently now at that age. So these are the kind of stories that come across our lives all the time whenever you work with horses or around horses. And uh, over the next several episodes, what I'd like to do is bring more of these stories to you, as well as some of the people who I've encountered through my work at, at Lope and at Horsewise. And I hope you enjoy them. And thank you so much for listening. <laughs>